When last we talked, we left ourselves in the book of John right up against the uh, beginning of the most intensive writing on the Holy Spirit that you can find, in, arguably, in the New Testament, John chapters 14, 15, and 16. He speaks of the paraclete, a unique word that he uses, others do not. The one who comes who summon, when summoned the helper, we talked about some of this two weeks ago. He is the one who walks along beside. He does not remove you from your journey. He does not take away the dangers of the journey, but he shares them with you. That's very important that we understand. God's not here to make sure we had a good day. God is here to help us do our jobs and be on the journey. Then Jesus says he has to leave, and that sets, as we'd say in Scotland, the cat among the pigeons. Uh, it is, it, it, they immediately began to go, wait, wait, wait. We were looking for you to ride into Jerusalem. We were, we were looking for you to establish your, your, your line of kings on the throne of David. And now we've invested three years. Or th this is all internal dialogue. Didn't make it in the script. Um, we've invested three and a half years into you. And now you're saying goodbye. What's, what's going on here? Well... Jesus tells them that he's not really gone, but he's present with them spiritually. Now, that sort of doesn't satisfy us most of the time. Is that not true? We, we generally like to have a God that has skin and bones, something that has a form that we can understand. But the fact is, we are spiritual beings. And so his being present spiritually is not less than being present physically. In fact, if he was trapped in human form, he could not be a universal messiah. He would have a skin that was a, a, a particular color, and it might not be yours. He would have a particular nationality, and it might not be yours. You see what I mean? And if you wanted to see Jesus, and he's on the other side of the planet, you'd have to go there. Jesus is releasing the physical to be with us in the spiritual. That's a lot of things to take in. It's kind of hard, but it's very important. Because as he's leaving, he leaves instructions. Let's look at John 14, 21 through 24. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, I imagine that was on his business cards, <laughs> said, again, didn't make it to the script, um, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Now, some of this is comforting, and some of this is a sledgehammer. The comforting bit's where we usually go. We'll say, well, he's with us, and we just love stuff. You know, we love people. You know, in theory, at a distance. We, the, the concept of people, we love. You know, and, and that's all that God's really asking. No, he's hammering something here. 
And do you see what it is? He's not hammering the love bit because he's already given that command. He is saying, you follow that command. You follow the command to love. Now be very careful how you use these verses. As I've said for years, and I didn't make it up, a text without a context is a pretext. And people will run to something that Paul said in Galatia, or that he, perhaps he said to Titus as he labored in Crete. And then a proof texter runs back to these verses and says, see, you've got to follow all this stuff. Paul's words were inspired by God. And they were given to the people to whom they were given in a particular place, in a particular time. But Jesus in John 14 is not talking about that. He is saying his words, his teaching. And some people will do a, a nice little sweet uh, theological uh, jiving here and say, yes, but as the Holy Spirit inspires, inspires the writers, all the words of the Bible are his words. Uh, let's be real careful. You can make that kind of argument, but Jesus is not. He doesn't say later on, all authority in heaven and earth will be given to books people write about me. He's saying, you remember what I told you, you do what I told you. Now, once again, does that lessen the, the other scripture? I don't think so. I think it puts it where it's supposed to be. Under Jesus Christ, in all things. Remember in Matthew 25, I've done this here before, the great judgment scene of, uh, of Christ the only person who know, uh, that's been on the planet that knows exactly what's going to happen on that day gave us a preview and said, how did you treat the poor? How did you treat the, those in prison? How did you treat those that needed clothing and care? Did you love them? That's the criteria. That's kind of important. He's not going to say, all right, before you get into heaven, did I proceed from the Father alone or also from the Spirit. Things that we fight about on earth, he is not interested in. The two great commands that he's hammering home, love God and love each other. I'm going to ask a question. Why would we need the Holy Spirit for two simple commands? Now I'm going to answer it because we haven't done them yet. We have not gotten this right in 2,000 years. Every time we preach love, there'll be somebody, righteous as they are, that'll throw a flag on the field and say, except, or but. What? Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, love. Look at John 14, 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will spend in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. I believe he's speaking there to the, the apostles, and some people will broadly make this to be the rest of the books of the Bible. Again, I'm not going to fight you, I'm not going to die on that hill, but I will say this, he is sending an advocate, a helper, to do what? To help us love. Why? Because some of you make it harder than it has to be. You know, God said to love everybody, and I'm going, you know, you could work on this too. Just be a little bit more lovable. That's all we're going for. And then I look in the mirror and realize, well, that was me too. We got to, we got to pause when we're about to react with anything other than love. React with anger. React with lust. React with self, 
interest, react with competitiveness, react whatever it is, political bias, doesn't matter, pull it back. Your first reaction should be love. I'm skipping ahead a bit to, to Acts, and please remember, churches are being torn apart in the book of Acts shortly after being formed. And the big argument was, well, the Jews are God's chosen people, and God loves the Jews. I'm not going to argue with either of those. Uh, therefore, Christians should be like the Jews. And others were saying, kind of like the Jews. And others were saying, not at all like the Jews. So the arguments raged. And the leaders all came. This is a chapter which churches of Christ don't normally teach on because of several problems in it. One is that everybody sends uh, a delegation to a mother church in Jerusalem. And we're going, oh, don't, you know, skip on, skip on. And, and, that, and, and they also, what happens there is staggering. Absolutely staggering. A little bit of it here. In Acts 15, verse 19, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Some versions actually, and I love the rendering, say, don't make it harder than it has to be. You know, why do we make it so hard? It shouldn't be hard. And then look at this bombshell. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals and sexual immorality. You'll do well to avoid these things. Um, what? That didn't address the fight. Because the Holy Spirit was not in the fight. And the Holy Spirit has no interest in our fights. And we get together under our various self-righteous flags. And I'm not talking about we in this room. I'm talking about we as believers. We get under our own tribal flags or our own traditional flags. And then instead of flying them in peace, we beat each other with them. Holy Spirit's not in that fight. When they brought the complaint and said, settle it, God said, no. Love each other. Don't be sexually messing around. Don't act like pagans. That's what the blood strangled thing meant. Don't act like pagans. And don't mess around with people. You'll be, you'll be good. And most of us look at that and go, we wouldn't hire a preacher who that was his message on Sunday morning. You know something? Let's not make it harder than it has to be. And immediately, you know, People's uh, heart pace just, just start going off. And uh, the, the sprinkler system kicks on with the people turning red and angry. But that was what the Holy Spirit said. No wonder we need his help to love God and love each other. We are a mess. And we are a mess who think we're a holy mess. But rules and ruts get in our way, and they keep us from being able to reach the people around us. Jesus tells him everything's going to be new. You don't like new? You're getting new. He who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then he wrote, then he said, write this down. 
for these words are trustworthy and true. It's a very Semitic Middle Eastern way of saying, pay attention to what I just said. It's the law. It's rather like the law of the Medes and the Persians in scripture, but no relation, different people. The, the, the law of the Medes and Persians was once the law was made, it could never be unmade. It's like a temporary tax. It will never go away. So he says, you, you watch this. I'm making everything new. Well, when do you make things new? According to the psalmist, they're new every morning. Okay. Better learn to love the change. When the Holy Spirit comes in, we change what we do and we change how we do it so that love may abound. Like in Acts 6. That is a serious issue in Acts 6. The Jews had a beautiful social care safety network system. And the way that they laid aside for widows and orphans and the way that they laid aside for the poor, it was generous, it was planned well ahead, and their widows were cared for. Now we have a whole bunch of new Christians, Gentiles, crazy folk. And they didn't plan ahead. And now they're Christians, and they've got some widows too, and they're saying, nobody's feeding our widows. What's wrong with our widows? And the Jewish people were saying, well, we saved for hours. And it was just really. And they brought it before the leaders of the church, and the leaders of the church told them, pick some guys and fix it. The leaders didn't spend six months worrying about it. They said, just pick some guys and fix it. So they picked some, I said, guys, we, uh, we call the people they picked deacons, and the only person named a deacon in scripture is a woman, so I'm not really sure what the mix was, to be honest. But we know um, what happens next is that Stephen pops around. We're going to talk about that in just a bit. Jesus tells them, just love each other and fix it. That's it. We need a kind of peace. He says, I'm leaving a peace with you, but it's not like the world's peace. One is... The peace of Jesus is not dependent on what people say or do or how we've been treated. The peace of Jesus has nothing to do with whether you're well or sick or whether you live or die. The peace of Jesus is something pretty special and he's about to illustrate it because he's going to be arrested, flogged, humiliated, crucified and his demeanor through it all will be peaceful and in control even from the cross dying, he loved those who killed him. And then he says, follow me. I've had people in my life draw a line in the sand and saying, this is it. You know something? If the Holy Spirit erases a line, I'm walking across it. If the Holy Spirit moves me forward, I'm walking across it. And I, th I think we can, we can prove that, can we not? Because we're not the average Church of Christ here. We're a little different. We've had people come in the front door, see instruments on the stage, and do a right out. Like they might be possessed by the spirit of Taylor and Martin and Gibson. I'm not really sure. <laughs> but you know, I would have done the same thing, though, I, because I would have thought that was my duty to God. But we have moved and opened because of studying scripture, not because of ignoring it. 
We didn't draw a whole bunch of lines in the sand. We hit our knees in the sand and asked God, what do you need? What do you want from us? And by the way, people like Albert have led the way in this over the years, and Don, you have led the way. Without, uh, I don't think this is too strong. Without people like Don Fento, you would not have this at all. People like him, people like um, Carl Ketcherside, Leroy Garrett, uh, uh, Cecil Hook, we can go, who got shot from every direction, every day. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done, gentlemen. Thank you for the, the wives and all the, the wise women who talked to us at home and told us, uh-uh, no, you need to rethink this. The Holy Spirit, wow. Look at, look at chapter 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. You know this, you know this. If you agree with the world, they go, yay. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world, and that's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. I, why would anybody hate Jesus? He never mistreated anyone. He was... He loved everybody. He treated everyone, especially the outcast, the untouchables. He loved them and treated them with great kindness. But they hated him because the God he was was not the God they wanted. And therein lies the crux of the matter. When people don't get the God they want, they create one <clears throat> that likes what they like and hates what they hate. <clears throat> you used to be able to walk away from a microphone to do that. Now they strap it to you. <clears throat> I blame progress. <clears throat> I blame the NIV. Let's just do that. Um, <clears throat> Vol Voltaire said it best. He said, in the beginning, God created man in his own image, and man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. So we make him this God, that God, American God, Republican God, Democrat God, uh, white God, black God. We, we do, all, and that's one of the big reasons Jesus had to leave the flesh and be with us in the spirit to break down every one of those barriers and say, you're not getting the God you want. You're getting the God who is. Look at John 16, verses 2 and 3. They will put you out to the synagogue. The word synagogue really means it's pretty close to congregation, frankly. They'll put you out. In fact, look at this. The time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. Those are such harsh words. And we can think of people like ISIS and other uh, extremists who have done just that and said they've done so because God wanted them to do so. Christians all over the world are facing persecution, and it's the great unreported story in our news that persecution of Christians is up, 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 and that they are dying 
in huge numbers. We're not being persecuted here. Getting sued for our stand here or the other, or, or Target saying we're not going to let the, the bell ringers out in front anymore, and we go, oh no, they've changed the color of the Starbucks cup, what are we going to do? My reaction would be, chill. Forget it. Love the people you meet. Even at Starbucks. They dress funny, but we like them. Of course, they think I dress funny too, and they're probably right. Let us remember, however, that there are other ways of killing people. Religious people have attacked ministers, shepherds, and teachers, and killed their spirit, killed their ability to serve or teach. They've killed their hearts, killed their joy. Joy killers abound. They've killed people's smile. They've killed people's faith. There are a lot of ways to kill people and do it thinking you're doing it for God, and you never you can only love and be pleasing to God. Revelation 12. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. I love that line. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil's come down to you. He's filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Oof, what's going on here? Well, the devil's come down here to do what he did up there. Attack and criticize the brothers and sisters. Do not join Team Satan. Do not be one of the slanderers and the libelers. Do not be one of the people who take one thing and jump forward huge uh, to attack. No, no. I, I love Gary Schrader, and he's been doing a great job uh, following an amazing woman and it, it, that was a hard job to do and I, I don't make it easy on him not, by, not on purpose it's just a gift um, <clears throat> he came in after being a principal in a school and he likes to do morale building things and I could care less which might mean that the morale the point is He's, he wanted to do a, all right, on Thursday, everybody wears the sweatshirt of their, their school football team. And everybody was really excited. You know, the SEC crowd, very proud. And uh, he looked over at me, and he goes, and, and you can do yours. And I said, we don't do that. He says, what do you mean? I said, we don't, we don't play football, soccer, or he even said, well, you know, like soccer. I said, no, we don't even do that against each other. We, we'll play like in a backyard for something, you know, or you know, this house against that house and the university. And it was the hardest thing in the world for him. And I'm pushing it. I said, we don't even have sweatshirts with the name. We don't have stickers on the back of the car. 
And he looked at me and he goes, well, well, what do you do? And I said, we study. <laughs> you have never seen a list of the top 10 party schools in Breton. It's not a party. I, um, I often remind myself that what I was about to say and where I was about to go, I'd, be, I'd need to wear the jersey of Team Satan because I was about to say something that would harm a brother or sister or that would steal their joy or that would take away their enthusiasm. And I have no right to kill those things. I'm to love them. I'm going to let God take it from there. Jesus warns them that their greatest opposition will not be unbelievers and pagans. Their greatest opposition will arise from those who believe that they are the spokespeople of God. In Acts 6, I told you we were coming back. One of those guys they picked was named Stephen. He stood before a religious court, the highest court of the Jewish people, staffed only by those accepted by the community as the most religious, the most pure in their faith. And all Stephen does is remind them of their history of rejecting God, and their response is not love, but stones and death. Choose a team. When Jesus looks up, he sees something very interesting. Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. You might not catch it first, so here it is. When Jesus is pictured in Scripture in heaven, he is seated at the right hand of God, except here and in Revelation, when we see martyrs in Revelation, and we see Stephen. When the death of one of his people come, Jesus stands. Let that soak in. Don't read too fast. Let it soak in. Knowing this, and knowing that the Spirit has been promised to us to be with us 24-7 the rest of our lives, and knowing that the Spirit is there to help us whenever we choose to love and show grace, mercy, and peace, how can we fail? He has not promised to be in our fights. He has not promised to be in our rules and our ruts. He has promised to help us love, and we can only fail when we forget to love and elevate any other God above our God. I'm going to do something here is, um, we're not quite to the wrap-up point, believe it or not. You know, we're all surprised. But I used old words out of old versions, like King James and the like, for these spirits, because I just wanted them to sound old and ancient, for they are. A reading of John and then Revelation tells us to be careful which spirit we listen to and there are other spirits listed in scripture. Let's have the list. Spirits of haughtiness. That's over everything. Haughty eyes are the first things God hates in Proverbs 6. Because you cannot misuse a person until you consider them less than you. Or that your need is greater than their need. And yes, Black Friday would include. Or Thursday, or I don't know. I don't go into the scrum, you play rugby elsewhere. Of emulation, a word almost extinct now. What does it mean? It means being too competitive. 
putting too much into argument. I, I, I got to win. I got to have the last word. But it also means on the sports field. I remember once we had a volleyball tournament with a bunch of our churches. And we started noticing a whole lot of the players we'd never seen. Found out they'd recruited them from Baptist. <laughs> a couple Catholics. And these guys were good. And we're going, what, what are you doing here? They're winning. They're winning. That's what they're doing. Well, that would really be a spirit of emulation, going against the rules to win. A fear. Friends, if you are reacting in fear, you are not listening to the right spirit. There have been times that people have said, Patrick, you need to really address this, or you need to really address that. Because people are wondering, really? You're going to let that empty space be filled up with fears? Know this, when I stand in front of you, you're going to hear about Jesus. Because that's my message. And you're going to hear about love, because that's my message. And I need to hear about love every week. What about you? For some of you, it seems natural. I'm lying. No, it doesn't. It is, it's difficult. How about spirit of error? Yeah. That happens. Spirit of jealousy. Spirit of promiscuity. I think that spirit's having a great time, don't you? Spirit of bondage. That's when scripture uses that in that context, it means bondage to sin. You've been, you've been just wrapped up by sin and you're in chains. Heaviness. We might call that today depression. Um, negativism. You know, that being a pessimist thing. No, we, we're winners. We win. You don't attract people to Christianity by going, the world's full of sinners. And I'm just so depressed. The world's getting worse than ever. Really? Really? That's attractive. That'll pack the pews, that will. Unclean spirits. People who make everything dirty. Same with foul spirits. Unruly spirits. That's not your toddler. Um... That's churches that refuse to buckle down and love each other and love those around them. They have act as if God did not give them a rule, therefore they are unruly. They have become divisive and angry and bitter, and they think it's their job. Perverse spirits, yeah, got those in, in our society. Deceiving spirits, that happens a lot. That's why we bring what we think to the community, and we sort it out without fear. And with love. Deafness and remaining mute. That happens a lot in scripture. And a lot of people are really puzzled by it. It'll say, you know, they're ear they have ears, but they will not hear. They have eyes, but they will not see. And sometimes it goes further. and says, God won't let them see and God won't let them hear. Why? Because they don't have him as their God. So why should he help them? And he pulls back. This is, um, this is pretty hard stuff. I will wrap up now. See, I was, and I, when I was a boy, the preachers always said, um, you know, by the time they're done, you know, Jesus could have come back. And I'm thinking, yeah. Uh, but Mark, go ahead and bring your team up. We will read John chapter 16, 8 through 11. And we're going to do this together. But... I want you to think about something as we're reading it. Don't back the losing team. Don't wear the wrong 
jersey. Don't draw a line in the sand unless God put it there. Would you stand? We'll read this together. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And the people of God say, Amen.